Lord, you are stronger. God, we, um, we love you, and we rest in the truths that you give us. That it is written, you are Lord of all. God, thank you for giving us this moment. Thank you for giving us uh, this time to be reminded of who you are. And God, as we open up your word and spend time listening to you, I pray that you will speak to us in bold ways and that we will have ears to hear and that we will listen to the things that you are saying to us and that we will take action and be changed through this time together. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Well, I saw in the news this last week uh, this new app that is being developed and is uh, hoped to come out in uh, November. It's this app called People, P-E-E-P-L-E. There's a picture of it up here, People. It's this app where uh, you, can, you can log in and you can look up people and you can give them a rating of one to five based on your personal or professional or romantic relationship with this person. And so if you've got a neighbor who has a noisy dog, you can log in and, and pull up this neighbor and give them a one with some comments about how horrible of a person they are. Uh, you have a great date on Friday night, and you can log in and, and give a five and give notes there about what this interaction was like. You're, you're rating people in your interactions with them. Uh, this, is, this is a real thing. This has been all over the news this last week where, where people, they're, they're creating this app to rate people similar to, you, to what you would do with a Yelp app. How many of you have used Yelp? It's got reviews of local restaurants and local businesses. Uh, Friday night we went out to dinner and an hour and 45 minutes after we ordered, we still had not received our food, so we walked out and I got on Yelp and left a number a one star with a review of my experience at that restaurant. Uh, but rating a, a business is one thing, right? but rating people. So, so we have some sort of interaction, and I can tell the world if you're a one-star person. Or maybe you're a five-star person, I'm not sure. But we rate people. And this is a shocking thing, and you, you look at this and you say, really? And you, you listen to the interview with the, the, the founders of this, the ones who have come up with this concept, and, and they really talk it up like it's this really positive thing for humanity. Like, this will help you become a better person because people are now rating you so you can learn about, about yourself and you can grow as a person. That, you know, what a great human race this would be if we would just label each other with numbers. And you look at this, and it sounds outrageous and absolutely ridiculous, but then you really look at the world around us and think it may not be all that far from the truth. Maybe I'm not clicking on a star rating, but we certainly size one another up, don't we? We look at one another and we look at the external appearances of someone and we make judgments on that person. This person is a certain way. They fit in a certain category. They behave in a certain way. And so we make judgments on people. We become critical of people. We play favorites with people. 
And we're in a series on the letter of James. And James really writes to this group of scattered Christians who are being persecuted and, and is giving them instructions and reminders of this is what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. This is, a, this is what it means to live your faith, that, that a faith without works is dead, that, that faith requires action. And so this week we're in, we're in James chapter 2 where, where we're looking at favoritism. This idea of playing favorites where, where one is better than the other. And James has some very bold things, some very strong things to say about the situation. To play favorites is to, to really lack faith, to really be not a, not a Christian. It's, it's unchristian to behave this way. So let's read James chapter 2, starting in verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is the good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? He promised the uh, kingdom, he promised those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who is, has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so we look at this chunk of scripture here, and, and there is a lot to say here, especially to the American church. This idea of how do we treat the poor? How do we treat the wealthy? What... what treatment do we have of people? Who do we discriminate against? Who do we play favorites with? The last verse of the previous section that we talked about last week, James 1.27 says, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We talked about being able to listen to God, to be able to hear God, to be able to obey what he's calling us into requires that we remove the distractions of the world around us that we're not polluted by the things of the world so that we're able to do the things that, that God really calls us into. And so God is speaking to us, and he, he has a certain way that he wants us to behave. He wants us to be in a certain way of being. But the ways of the world keep getting in the way. And so we're supposed to be holy. We're supposed to be set apart. And that goes against the grain of the world that we live in. 
And so as we think about this idea of the way of the world, one of the things that pops out is this idea of favoritism or judging others based on appearance. We see that in the People app. We see that in politics. We see that in Hollywood. We see this hierarchy of people based on external factors. And so the world way of viewing people is very much to play favorites. The beautiful are rewarded. The wealthy are rewarded. The educated are rewarded. And James calls this discrimination. James says that the world loves to honor the rich and neglect the poor. And he warns that the church can fall into the same trap. Anything that that is impacting the world, anything that is polluting the world, can pull the church in with it. And he warns these believers, don't be pulled into what the world has been pulled into. Don't show favoritism. Faith and favoritism are not compatible. And so James gives this story of this wealthy person who, who comes into their gathering, comes into this worship assembly, and, and they're well-dressed, and they have the right jewelry, and they have the right appearance, and, and the right skin tone, and the right gender, and they come in, and, and they are treated favorably. They are giving, given a place of honor. They are given the seats of recognition. And then you have someone else who comes in that is obviously not like the rest of the group. Someone who does not look like, smell like, or dress like the rest of them. And they come into this environment and they're asked to stand in the back or sit at the floor at the feet of everybody else. And so we don't really know if James is addressing a very specific instance here or if he's just making this exaggerated story to make a point. But, but either way, it is very clear what James is saying. That to treat those two people differently, to treat them separately, to show favoritism over one or the other is absolutely wrong. And so this becomes incredibly convicting, doesn't it? To think about a suburban white middle class church in the United States who even the poorest of us are still pretty well off compared to the poor of the world. And we think, how do we be the church in that environment, in that climate? James calls out this attitude and says this is wrong. That Jesus left the church to be something different. And so he gives us several reminders here through this chapter of James about what the church is supposed to be. And the first thing he reminds us of is that the church is to foc- the church focuses on the glory of God, the glory of Christ. The focus is not on each other. The focus is not on the appearance of one another, the wealth of one another, the status of one another. The focus is on the glory of Christ. In verse 1, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. If you are a believer in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, then you don't show favoritism because the focus is on the glory of Jesus. 
this awe-inspiring, indescribable being, this, this one who is separate from everything, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. He is magnificent. He, his splendor, his majesty, his supremacy is above all other things. This is who we gather to worship. The glory of Jesus. And so we're called to focus on that. We don't focus on this room. We don't focus on the program. We don't focus on me or the praise team. We don't focus on anything other than the glory of Jesus. That is why we gather, and that makes us all equal. Because we're all focusing on the same thing, the same thing that never changes, the same thing that is above all other things. And we fo- when we focus on his glory, discrimination doesn't exist. Because it's about Jesus and not about our rating of each other. But even though Jesus is rich in glory, even though he is supreme over all things, Jesus flips things over and he takes his supremacy and uses it to model not favoritism because he of all people could play favorites, right? There's nobody as good as him. But instead of playing favorites, he models for us sacrifice where he makes himself nothing. He puts himself at the bottom instead of the top. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And so the glory of Christ models for us this sacrifice. To not be rich, but but be poor for the sake of others. We become rich because of the glory of Christ. Another thing he reminds us of is that the church depends on the grace of Christ. That we aren't anyone, we aren't anything without grace. In verse 5, James reminds us that God chose the poor to be rich in faith. And so God has this favor for the poor throughout Scripture. Scripture talks about the poor in a couple ways. It talks about the physical poor. The ones that are just lacking the financial resources to to make life work. In Psalm 68, 10, it says, Your people settled in, in it, and from your bounty, God, you provided for the poor. God provides for the poor. He has a heart for the poor. And he expected his people to care for the poor. In Galatians 2, 10, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Of all the things you're doing as a church, please remember to take care of the poor. And so he has a heart for the physically poor, but he also has a heart for the spiritually poor. We see that in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God has a heart for those who are poor in spirit those that are hurting and broken and in need. And so we see time and time again in Scripture where God's heart is for the poor. And he has chosen to show his grace and his mercy to the poor. 
Jesus comes in and totally flips over the hierarchy of status. The rich are poor and the, the, the poor are rich. He, he transforms the way we view the world. The standards of the world are not the standards of those who belong to the kingdom of God. He flips that upside down. And James paints this picture for us of, of this wealthy person coming in. He, he paints this picture where we look at a man or woman at, by their outward appearance. And we notice the car that they drive. And we notice the clothes that they wear and the house that they live in. And the, the lifestyle they lead. Those are the things that we notice. And, and we tend to honor people based on those things. But Scripture flips that upside down. We no longer depend on ourselves or our wealth or status. We depend on the grace of God through Jesus. And so as a church, we are people who depend on that grace. Because none of us can be rich enough to buy our way in. Another reminder that James gives us is that the church is devoted to the law of Christ. The law of Christ. In verse 8, the royal law prescribed in Scripture is the law to love your neighbor as yourself. And so James here quotes Leviticus. He's, he's looking at Leviticus 19.18, the same text that Jesus uses when, when they come to him and say, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love God and love others. And he quotes there from Leviticus 19 and says, love your neighbor as yourself. And so to love your neighbor is to obey what Jesus teaches us. But showing favoritism is the opposite of that. Showing favoritism is disobedience of the law of loving others. Showing favoritism isn't just not a good idea. It's not just rude or maybe not a nice thing. Showing favoritism is actually disobedience to the law of Christ. He says this is the commandment. Not an opinion, not a recommendation. The commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so when we show favoritism, it's making a judgment on another person. It devalues them. It objectifies them. It, it's, it's, uh, it's a sin to put a person in that position. And James uses the example of favoritism of the rich, but there are so many other ways that we play out favoritism in our lives, right? It may be rich versus poor, but it also may be about dress or physical appearance or skin color. There's other things that we discriminate against where we have favoritism over others. We show favoritism, when showing favoritism, it shows a disrespect to others. And it dishonors God. It dishonors what he's called us to be. He's shown us in his word that he has a heart for the poor. He shows us that he has a heart for the broken. And to ignore that dishonors him. And so we're called to love others. One of my favorite quotes comes from Victor Hugo's uh, Les Mis. In, in, in this final scene, in, in, in the musical version, there is this, this line that is sung in the finale. To love another person is to see the face of God. That to be obedient to this, this call to love others, we encounter God in a way that we could never encounter him before. That in the love of others, we are able to experience God. We see the face of God because we're doing what is close to his heart. 
we're loving others. And that draws us closer to God. We know God by following his commands of love. Another thing James shows us is that the church is subject to the judgment of Christ. Verse 12 through 13, he starts talking about how those who judge based on appearances will be judged. Verse 12 says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And so James takes us to an awareness of God's judgment and reminds us that we will be judged according to the way, according to our speech and action. And this becomes a, a strange, uncomfortable thing for us, right? That, that those of us who are saved by grace may be judged in some way based on our behavior. And this is consistent with Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 12. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. And so Jesus says that, that even though you are saved by grace, there is some sort of thing that's going to happen in the end where we're going to have to give an account to the things that we've said and that we've done. Have you put your faith in action? And this is consistent with Paul in Romans. The, in Romans, this book that we look at toward, to, to, to give us this theology of grace that says we're saved by grace and not by works. But, but Paul says in chapter 2, God will repay each person according to what they've done. To those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and more, and immortality he will give eternal life but for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil there will be wrath and anger there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil first for the jew then for the gentile but glory honor and peace for everyone who does good first for the jew then for the gentile for god does not show favoritism And so there will be a, a moment where we stand before God and, and give an account for our words and actions. And so God commands, love your neighbor as yourself. What kind of account will you give in that moment? We speak with, act, uh, we speak with love, we act with love. And so how do we do this? Reading through this text becomes so convicting. It challenges us. It stretches us. It moves us into a different place. And so how do we avoid favoritism in a world that's consumed with external appearances? How do we treat others with love? How do we prevent discrimination? How do we not let fear drive us in the way we interact with and treat others? And so think about what it will be like to stand before God and give an account. Thinking of that can be so overwhelming because we have missed the mark in so many ways. And so that leads us to the final reminder from James. The church is a reflection of the mercy of Christ. Verse 13, the last sentence, sums up the whole thing. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so this whole section about favoritism and judgments convicts us 
And we're called into a way of, of behavior, a way toward love of others. But that love does not come from an easy place, and it certainly does not come from our own efforts and our own strength. To love others requires supernatural intervention. Because in my own efforts, I can't get past my own biases and my own comfort to be able to love others the way God does. And so all of us become dependent on the mercy of Jesus. God doesn't show favoritism against us based on external judgments. He shows us mercy. And because he shows us mercy, and since we have received mercy, we're able to extend that mercy to others. If we really realize the gift of grace that we have received, if we really comprehend and understand the mercy that has been shown to us, then we're able to extend that mercy to others. God's mercy triumphs over judgment toward us, and the mercy we show to others triumphs over our own judgment against them. And so James comes in and he says, true faith will always express itself in love. And that will only come from a supernatural place. That will only come from a place where God gives us the mercy that we don't even deserve. That we come in poor and broken, stinky and ugly. We come in as sinners. And God looks at us and gives us a place of honor, a seat of respect. He invites us into his kingdom and makes us his sons and daughters. And so as we look through this chapter, we, we are incredibly convicted, but are so blessed. Because if we are a church that focuses on the glory of Christ, then we're a church that focuses on, on who he is and, and we're not consumed by, with, by who you are and who we are. We depend on the grace of Christ and so we extend that grace to others. We know that we can't do it on our own and, and because of that grace, we are called into a lifestyle that is devoted to his call, his law to say love others. We're able to love others because he has loved us. And because we are in that relationship with him, he holds us accountable to how we act and how we speak. And even when we fall short on that, he continues to give us mercy, forgiveness, when we fall short of what he's called us to do. Let's be standing together. We're going to spend some time in prayer. We, we, we set aside time every Sunday to, to be praying with one another and for one another. And, and this is really a time for us to, to spend some time reflecting on what is God saying to me? What is he calling me to? And then what are you going to do about it? What is, what is he, he planting in you and convicting you of? As the Spirit speaks to you and, and, and says, you need to take action in this area. What are your own biases? What are the own things that you've showed favoritism in? What are the areas where you need to, to repent of and, and extend grace towards others? 
What do you need to do differently with your time and with your resources in reflection of, of what James is saying to us here? What is he calling you do, to do in response to this? We're going to have shepherds down front, and you are invited to, to come forward and pray with one of them. You're invited to, to pray with one another. Be, be free to move around and pray with each other. Uh, some of us come into this room completely distracted by the life that we're in right now. And this message becomes completely irrelevant because of, of what's going on in our world right now. And so bypass that and pray for that. If it's for healing or job or relationship or reconciliation, we want to pray for the, those things too. If you have not yet received the mercy of Jesus the grace of Jesus. And you want to enter into that relationship with him through baptism today, we want to have that conversation with you as well. And so regardless of the needs that you have, let's spend some time in prayer lifting that up to God, a God who listens, a God who wants to work in your life, a, want, a God who wants to heal, a God who wants to restore. Let's pray together. God, we give you this time. We thank you for your words through James. We, we pray that you will continue to, to work on our hearts and move us in, in powerful ways as we reflect on how we treat others. God, help us to be a people that love others in obedience to what you've called us to. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.